moved his face away from me. So you don't like to kiss, I, I see, I said disappointedly. Oh, no, it's, it's not bad. I, I've got a bad mouth of teeth. I don't want to infect you, he replied. He ate my dinner. Then he got horny watching porn videos. He had me gagging on it until he came, and then he went to sleep. The next morning, we got up together, and we both left out together. I gave him $30 to get a haircut and car fare to search for a job. When I got home, he was waiting for me on the stoop. I let him in and took off to the laundromat to wash his clothes. I came back and cooked dinner. We ate. He looked through porn magazines, and I feasted on his dick until he came. Then we both went to sleep. The next morning, he wasn't feeling well. He couldn't go out to search for work. What happened to the haircut, I asked. Weren't you supposed to get a haircut? Ah, shit happens, man, he grunted. If it wasn't for his big, beautiful dick, I would have thrown him out into the streets. The week went by fast. It was now Saturday, and I had been invited out to a birthday party. I had it all planned. I was going to make my entrance in my new outfit with Larry on my arm. I knew all eyes would have been on us once they saw his thick bread basket. Larry had other plans, and I was broken-hearted. I was alone on the IRT subway platform, waiting for the Brooklyn-bound train while Larry took a bus to his sister's house in Jersey. He was spending the night at her place. I arrived at the party, where I drank like a fish. I got wasted and did a striptease act for the crowd. They even videotaped it. This was the usual me. I was always the talk of the town and the life of the party. I woke up in my bed under the covers with a strange hairy man pounding my ass. He got his rocks off, then he lay on his back and lit a cigarette. Damn, that was some good ass. I could fall for you, you know, he informed me. I just lay there next to him, not too impressed. What's your name again? I inquired and only got rolling eyes for an answer. I got this awful feeling of cheating on Larry. It was the drugs and alcohol that made me the slut of the city. I was 400 pounds or more with a big protruding ass. You got the dick when you can because you never knew when some guy was going to feel sorry for you and give you some. I woke up later that morning with my TV set gone and my front door open. I had been robbed. Larry returned home that afternoon looking beat. He took off his clothes and got under the covers, where he drifted off to sleep. He didn't even kiss me hello or ask me how the party was. He just fell asleep naked and drunk. I snuggled my rotund body up against his hairy muscular body. I wrapped my arms around him and nestled my head on his hairy chest. I then fondled his thick hairy cock as I also drifted off to sleep. The next morning, it dawned on Larry that there was no TV set, 
answered breathlessly. No, not now, he said as he rejected my advances. Oh, come on, Larry, let me have it. You got some good dick, I can't get enough of it. No, he insisted as he jerked my hold off his cock. He then leered at me and said, uh, You get the dick when I want you to get the dick. Oh, oh no, I stammered. If I'm putting food in your stomach, a roof over your head, and washing your funky ass clothes, you give me the dick when I want the dick, or you can get the fuck on out, I yelled. I got a cheap TV set to replace the stolen one. Larry had to be entertained when he wasn't banging me. I gave Larry $30 a day to get a haircut and car fare to look for work. I came home, cooked and cleaned while he lay in bed, watched TV and played with himself. He still had no job and no haircut. He had me wondering if he was giving the money away to one of his drugged up friends for food. Another Saturday came and he was going to Jersey for the weekend to his sisters. Yeah, right. I wasn't born yesterday. The words kept blasting in my head until I broke down and cried, but it did no good. He just laughed and headed for the door. Look, I should be back Sunday night. Just have that ass ready for me to fuck you raw. He smiled as he closed the door. Oh, Larry knew how to keep me hanging on. The days turned into nights, and the nights turned into days. Two weeks went by without Larry. I was in love with him, physically and mentally. He was emotionally void, conceited, inconsiderate, uncaring, unemployed and illiterate. He was an ex-con and a user, not to mention the fact that he hated to kiss and to be cuddled. It was a trait that I have had in so many men in my life. After the third week of no-shows, I packed everything I had bought for him and stuffed it into brown shopping bags. There were five bags in all, and I placed them all at the front door. I refused to allow him to cross my doorstep. I had enough of his shenanigans. I was sitting on the stoop during a full moon night when this muscular man walked up to me. Hey, uh, hello, stranger. Hmm, hello, stranger, I said blandly. Hey, what's up, baby? Got anything to eat, he said. Larry, you're over a month late. What happened? I've been here worried sick about you. You didn't leave me any way to get in touch with your sister in Jersey. Well, baby, he started his rap on me as he fondled the huge bulge between his legs. Uh, you see... My sister found me a job, and I've been working all that time until they let me go yesterday. I couldn't call you because I didn't have your phone number. He rubbed my hard nipples through my t-shirt. I heard a voice in my head yell over all that noise in the city. He thinks you're stupid. Oh, Larry, Larry, I, I can't, I said. I got up and entered the building to fetch his shopping bags. He followed me inside. Just as we reached my room, Larry
Henry swung me around and planted a passionate kiss on my lips. His tongue then invaded my lips' threshold, attacking my tongue and intertwining it with his. His hot, muscular body was rubbing up against mine. Our erections were touching through our clothes. Then this voice in my head once again started yelling over all the noise of our excessive quick breathing. He thinks you're stupid. Oh, Larry. Larry. Oh, Larry, I I can't, I passionately said. I abruptly pushed him away. I reached behind my door, retrieved the shopping bags, and handed them to him one by one. (laughs) Larry laughed at me. Come on, baby, you ain't gonna let me in for some of this good dick. Larry, I can't, I said teary-eyed. But you want it. I know where you want it. So here I am to give it to you. Something in me clicked, and my sadness turned to pure anger. Well, fuck you, Larry. Take your dick and get the hell out of here. I don't need you or your fucking dick. Larry, with a smirk on his face grabbed the five brown shopping bags and started out of the building. But then he quickly turned. You're gonna wish to God you never let this big dick go. I stood on my stoop and watched the good-looking, hairy, muscular man with a big dick walk out of my life and into the darkness and noise of the city. I returned to my room. I snorted some coke and lit up a dust joint. I poured me some 151 proof rum and coke. I sat on the bed and played a record after the love is gone by earth, wind and fire. It was early fall in September. I was still unemployed going job hunting when I ran into Morris. I was waiting for the number one train heading home at the 66th Street subway station. I got chills down my spine, that feeling you get when someone is watching you. My eyes surged up and down the station. My senses told me to look across the platform, and there he stood directly across from me, staring at me with those hazel eyes. His stare pierced my soul. I felt his anger. My heart began to beat fast, and fear took over my being. When I saw Morris was walking to the stairs that would bring him onto my side of the platform, I panicked. At that moment, my train entered the station. When the train stopped in front of me and opened its doors, I ran inside, knocking people out of my way. I hugged the pole tight and prayed. I saw Morris heading for the open doors. The ding-dong bell rang and the doors closed in Morris's face. Oh, I saw in his eyes as the train slowly moved away up the tracks that this was not over. He was bent on revenge. 1981. In October of 1980, I got a job at the American Stock Exchange as a stock option reporter. It was a grueling job dealing with the madness of the trading floor. I became friends with a cool bunch of people who introduced me to 
mescaline, angel dust, and mushrooms. I was in heaven. Robert, Tom, Dax, my new friends, and I were walking along the boardwalk of the gay nude section at Rias Park in Queens, New York, when we ran into Morris. I was so involved with our conversation, I didn't notice the, uh, what's on that came out of his mouth. Hey, that guy just spoke to you, said Tom, as he stopped dead in awe to gaze at the sexy creature. Morris had reversed his tracks and was heading back towards us. You know him? Robert asked in shock. Damn, he's hot, exclaimed Dax. As Morris swaggered his way toward me, my friends moved to the railings and watched. They were correct. I'd never seen Morris as a sexy beast, but as he walked up to me in his swim trunks exposing his huge bulge, a sexual heat came rushing up on me. He'd been working out and gotten into phenomenal muscular shape. Just before he could speak to me, three teenage boys ran over to him. I knew those boys. They were the sons of his girlfriend from the 70s. He said something to them and then sent them on their way. That sexual rush vanished as the hurtful memories flashed into my head. Hey, how are you doing? He asked as he turned toward me. Oh, I'm okay. I see you've got new friends. Yep, we work together. I've been keeping track of you. Me? Why? I asked as I went into fight or flight mode. I miss you, Seth. Let's be friends again. No, we can't, Morris. I can't go back to the way things were with us. Hey, Seth, meet us in the parking lot, yelled Robert as my three amigos headed in that direction. Look, Morris, I've got to go, I said as I quietly ran as fast as my fat legs would let me go to my friends. I never looked back to see the expression on Morris's face. He never took no for an answer. You know that guy? Dax asked as I approached the group. He was my ex from the 70s, I replied. Why in the hell did you let that go? Asked Robert. Oh, it's a long story. And my pride was worth more than the lies, cheating, and cons he was giving me. Oh, honey, a big dick man like that? I'd be prideless, Tom laughed. I had been on the job for four years when I got fired. What a night that was. Reporters were very important on reporting the market, sales, and stock option quotes that ran across the ticker tape. Wall Street never closed on business days and a snowstorm was brewing. We were instructed to spend the night in the executive boardroom. We had to be in the building by 10 p.m. I got off work around 4 p.m., which gave me enough time to get my groove on before calling it tonight in the boardroom. I arrived back at work at 10 p.m. on the dot. It was a crazy seat on that penthouse floor. They had cots set up for us to sleep on, and I was well ready to hit the sack. 
My rotund 430 pounds were too much for the cot, and it broke in half, leaving me stranded on the cold, bare floor. Three fellow employees helped me to my feet. I immediately went to the restroom, and in the stall, I downed my last pint of wild Irish rose and smoked my last angel dust joint. I passed out. When I woke up, I found myself strapped to a bed in the psych ward of Bellevue Hospital. Once again, I had one of my famous drug-induced amnesias. A wrinkled-faced nurse was checking out my IV when I opened my eyes. A police officer was standing by my bedside. He saw that I was awake and explained how he was the arresting officer. I had taken six cops to remove me from the stock exchange. Oh good, you're awake. How are you feeling? The nurse asked, smiling at me, which smoothed out her wrinkles. I'm okay, I stammered. Dr. Fernandez will be in to see you soon. You gave us quite a scare, she said. What was wrong with me? I asked. I best let the doctor explain that to you, but you came in here with pancreatitis and appendicitis. She quickly left the room. Before I could figure out what was going on, this husky-built man in his twenties came barreling into the room. He was dressed in hospital garb. Hello, he said as he shook my hand. I am Dr. Fernandez. I took out your appendix just in the nick of time. You were quite intoxicated when you arrived here, he laughed. You are unique, you know. Your pancreas and appendix were blocked by other organs. Organs we have never seen before in the human body, he smiled. His eyes were extremely almond-shaped, making them look closed. He also spoke with a foreign accent. I was still groggy and confused, and I was hung over on top of it. I heard the doctor talking, and I was trying to comprehend what he was saying, but nothing clicked until Aloise entered the room. He was wearing his gold-framed sunglasses with a big Cheshire cat smile. I had Aloise on one side of the bed and Dr. Fernandez on the other side. So, because of these organs, we're going to keep you for tests and observations in order to assess what your body is using them for. Don't worry, they don't appear to be tumors or cancer. The nurse will be in to prep you. The doctor and the arresting officer then started to leave the room. That was when I perked up. Wait a minute, what's going on here? I asked. Aloise walked quickly behind the exiting men. As soon as the men vacated the room, he turned to me in haste. Get dressed, ordered Aloise as he collected my clothes out of the closet. Why are you here? What's going on? Where are we? We've got to hurry before the nurse comes to get you. I'm taking you to a safe place, your granddad's ranch. He explained as he pulled the covers off me, revealing my naked, obese, 400-pound body. He pulled out the IV and began to help me to put on my underwear. Come on, stay alert, Seth. 
I'm trying to save you. What are you talking about? How did you find me? What grandfather? I was asking all these questions, feeling groggy. Was I drugged? I couldn't keep my eyes open. I will protect you, Alois cried out as I drifted off into the darkness with the sensation of being levitated. I woke up in an inclined position, stuffed in a seat of some kind. I looked around and saw through the windows that I was moving along. It took me some time for me to focus, and I realized that I was in a vehicle. In the seat next to me was the driver. I saw the back of the head of this driver, and in an instant, the driver looked down at me. Happy birthday, Seth. Alois greeted me as, as he smiled at me wearing his sunglasses. Where are you taking me? I asked as I tried to sit up. Alois pulled over to the shoulder of the highway. He got out and came over to my side of the vehicle. I'm taking you to a safe place, he said as he adjusted the seat so I could sit up straight. The seat wasn't wide enough to fit my huge body. Uh-huh. And where is that? Your granddad's ranch, he replied as he returned to his side of the vehicle. My whole life has been turned upside down, I said solemnly. You are now on a new journey. This is your new destiny, he replied as he continued driving. I realized I was in a van. What about my room, my clothes, and my things? My job, my parents? You are no longer the person everyone knew you were. You are now in the infancy of your transformation. Transformation? Transformation to what? I frowned at him. You are one of us, Seth. 